Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast. Explosions of fire. My name is Brian. My name is Aaron. And this week, we're going to be talking about Monster of the Week. So, we often talk about how we're game system agnostic, and then we just talk about D&D all the time. So, we really wanted to jump in and kind of do a deep dive in one of our favorite other systems, Monster of the Week. We actually just ran this game again recently, this last weekend, and it's one of my more favorite recent games to play. It, I say recent, but it's probably close to eight years old or so, but it's a lot of fun. It's definitely a little bit more out of the box than D&D is, and very more, very much more rules light than we're normally used to with D&D. That's actually one of the things that I really love about it, is especially for newer players, which we had several at the mm-hmm. table, at your table over the weekend. Um, so much easier to slide into, and it's the word that we use a lot for it is cinematic. <laughs> for sure. Which basically is another way of saying you have a lot more agency to do what you want to do than in D&D, which is so much more rules intensive that you just sort of, you, you have to, it has to go a certain way. Absolutely. And I guess let's get started by talking about maybe a description of Monster of the Week and kind of how play works. So Monster of the Week could be best boiled down to its... More of a serialized style of playing, like you're playing an episode of the X-Files or Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You're kind of this really squishy, fragile human that is investigating a monster or phenomenon and trying to stop it before all hell breaks loose. Yeah, and from an influence perspective, to me, I I think it's very evocative of like 50s monster movies or even Tremors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's like the sort of goofy comedic tone and then there's just something really nasty and you don't know what it is yeah and the great thing about the game is that you can kind of turn up the horror or the sci-fi or the campiness as much as you want if you want to have a really weird dark sort of world of darkness style game you can do that if you want to have a silly one where you're fighting against a tiny gray alien that's zapping people with lasers also fine yeah and also, at the beginning, as a player, you don't know what it is, <laughs> which I think is is really fun, and I think not even limited by what would be in the book. I think mm-hmm. as a keeper, that's what that's what they're called, right? Yes, but monster yeah. keepers. Monster keeper. You just like in other RPGs, you have full agency to make up whatever you want or yeah. use whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when I first found this game, it actually really reminded me of Hunter the Reckoning, which was a World of Darkness game from White Wolf that came out in 1999. And it's almost, when I look at these two games, it's as if two people copied off the same paper but gave different answers. Um, (laughs) Because that one is super fun also, but it's very much more rules-heavy, much more dark. This is kind of whatever you want it to be. And you kind of get your whole troop of players together to see what sort of cadre of monster hunters they make up. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the big similarities is, and I was thinking about it when you were running the game over the weekend, um, it looks a lot like D&D. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the same basic setup. The keeper sits at the usually at the head of the table and is dictating a lot of the things. Um, but then there's this sort of collaborative party effort going on. Yeah. Um, which I think is really cool. And then even character creation, I think there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. You have 
sort of big buckets of characters that you pick from and then you get down into the more granular details of the character. Then you name them and come up with a physical description and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it also describes it in the book as definitely being more of a cooperative agreement with the monster keeper and the players than I would say D&D is. D&D is very much an antagonistic thing. As much as any DM might say it's not, it very much is. You're, you're not really working together with the players. You're giving your own story. They're kind of filling in the pages. Whereas Monster of the Week is, you're making this shared narrative that's really fun to do together, and you're prompting them. They're, they're, it tells you in the book, you need to cooperate and make them feel as though they are truly the, the narrators of the story. And that's one of the big differences that I found, being a player at your Monster of the Week game. For instance, in D&D, if I decide I'm going to go see my old friend Mm -hmm. uh, in-game, you're likely, as the dungeon master, to tell me the friend's name and where we are and what it looks like. And in Monster of the Week, you may very well say to me as the keeper, cool, what's their name? Where do they live? (laughs) Exactly. And so you find yourself, yeah, again, that much more collaborative, much more agency in terms of creativity during the game. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think is super fun. And also, as a longtime D&D player, a little shocking almost. Yeah. It's like, oh, what do they say? What do they look like? Okay, how does that conversation go? And I'm like, oh. um, uh." You know, what's funny about this game is how cooperative it is. And how much fun it is between the players and the keeper is that I've legitimately killed more players in Monster of the Week than I have in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. But I think <clears throat> there's an element of, maybe, and maybe maybe you disagree, Aaron, but for me it's an element of lighthearted fun in mm-hmm. Monster of the Week. And even like I'm looking at the back of the book, most people don't believe in monsters, but you know the truth. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like X-Files yeah. kind of creepy vibe, which... For a lot of people, that's what they're into. Yeah, I think it definitely is more fun, but I think it's also a little more dangerous than D&D. D&D, especially 5th edition or a lot of the modules that come with it, makes it feel more like a video game. This makes you feel vulnerable. If you walk into a haunted house, you do feel vulnerable because of the way the keeper describes it. You do feel like, I could literally die if I go into that weird, creepy basement. Yeah, and I've heard this described in, in D&D, it's a very heroic tone. Mm-hmm. So you are the hero, and so you're sort of expected to kick the door down and kill the monster. <laughs> and in Monster of the Week, I think very much if you approach it with that, if you just kick the door down, you're likely to die. So that's a cool component of it is you must do your research mm-hmm. and have a plan and try to outwit the monster, understanding right. its weakness rather than just go in guns blazing. Exactly. And I think another big difference is how we set up the game as keepers. So number one is you don't do as much backstory. Again, you're filling in the backstory together. You're filling in the future story and narrative together. But then also, there really aren't maps. There can be. Like if I want to draw a map of a town and say this is what the general store is, I mean, sure, but that's kind of... I wouldn't say a waste of time, but it's not really the main focus of the game. There's no minis. It's just you talking and having this narrative, almost radio play experience. Yeah, and I think another key difference for me is the rules light feeling Mm -hmm. compared to D&D. So I've never in a Monster of the Week game heard anyone say, am I close enough to X? (laughs) It's more like, I'm going to run up. 
okay, cool. Right. What, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and then it kind of varies a little bit from there. So I know that if you're a heavy D&D player where you just care about the rules and you want to min-max and that's your jam, this game is probably not for you and that's okay. But if you're willing to break out of that mold, if you're willing to you know fudge a little bit of what the narrative is, this is where you go. And so with that being said, you kind of go into how we deal with rolling in here, which is a lot different and a lot more fun. Yeah, and more freeing, yes. I think, too. Because, again, you as a player have more agency if you roll high, which explain the D6 system really quick. Yeah, so the way that it works is everything that you roll for, which you don't necessarily have to roll that often. There can be just implied you do it sort of scenarios. You roll two D6s. Anything that's a six or below is a failure. And the keeper will tell you what that failure means. And you also get an experience point. You actually succeed in the game by failing. Then seven through nine is a mixed success. And so what that means is that you succeed, but also the keeper is going to tell you something bad that's going to happen. So, for example, you might say, I want to pick the lock into the building. And I'll say, you succeed, but also the alarm goes off as soon as the door opens. Yeah, but then the door's open, so now what do you get it? <laughs> and then ten and up are all successes. <clears throat> with that being said about the dice is you do get this nice little mechanic called luck and the way that luck works is that if you mess up a roll if the dice just aren't in your favor today you can spend a luck point to either get an automatic success or not take any harm from a monster or minion of the monster which is great except you have a finite number of luck points once you spend them all doom happens yeah and so the mechanics in the moment are lighter but there are some nice mechanics that provide rails yes which your keeper will often just sort of remind you of. exactly and i I think that that's where the stakes get a little more raised in D&D. so for example D&D, you might say i want to climb the cliff face and i'll give you your difficulty class that you need to roll on a dc and you succeed and you go up the cliff but then you get a mixed success in this game. And it's kind of fun. Maybe you're climbing up. Oh, no, I just dropped my whole backpack of monster supplies at the bi- bottom of the cliff. You know, it's like these great little switches around of what you're invested in and then how the stakes are really raised. Yeah, like a common scenario here would be you drop your chainsaw. Or in the case of our game the other night, you drop your flamethrower. <laughs> exactly. The character spent an inordinate amount of time organizing and building a flamethrower. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Only to have to go into a sewer where then they worry they were going to blow up the entire city. <laughs> and, and we'll get into this in a minute, but this is one of those games, too, where sometimes players can kind of go off the rails and whatever they're MacGyvering. And I have a good anecdote for this later that we'll get to, but... It's really great to see how they make the game because the other part of it that's a little bit different is that you only have really one character type or class per party of monster hunters. So you work together to build this narrative. Somebody says, I want to be the thief, which is in the game called a crooked, or I want to be this person who's been chosen, who's been told by prophecy they're going to stop a monster. And then you kind of figure out between that. But I love like that these have these little prompts of history prompts or biography prompts where it's like, you were on the same bowling team as somebody else in the group. And it's like, oh, well, I'm definitely uh, on the bowling team with the half-man, half-werewolf that's at the table. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that really struck me early on when I first played 
is the cinematic opening scene. Mm. So in D&D, there's really never a time when the dungeon master is going to tell you something that you don't have access to, right? Right. They may tell you what you remember, what what you know. But in this, usually there's a creepy opening scene. And often even the keeper will describe the camera. The camera moves in and you see a blood smear on the brick or something like that. (laughs) And then it cuts to the action. So it's like you're watching a television show, which is a different way to start. And also I found, and even the players over the weekend, they were a little bit confused because they kept referencing that. Right. Oh, no, no, that was the girl in the alley. And you kept being like, you don't know about the girl in the alley. (laughs) This is just to get you hooked in, which is what also they call it as a hook. Another part of that, how you tie that in is through what they call this doomsday clock or this countdown clock, the sundown clock, where there is this six-shaped circle of pizza that we count down from that starts at sundown and then goes all the way to midnight. And then when you get to midnight, that's when all hell breaks loose, essentially. And what's great is if you can tie some of those little snippets that feel like a cinematic break in a movie or a TV show and say that's what's happening. But also, it's super terrifying for the players if you say nothing at all and you see somebody just erase one of those triangles on there. (laughs) So good. (laughs) So then you go to the gameplay, and then how that works is the keeper will set up a monster for the week, whatever it is, and then the players have to try and figure out essentially what the monster is, how to stop it, and how to do that as quickly as possible. But with that comes a lot of stuff that's a little more nuancy that the players don't read. So, for example, it'll tell you in the book that for the keeper, their job is to keep it dangerous, make it feel like the vulnerable. So you might be in the middle of investigating something where you're picking up a piece of werewolf hair off of a corpse and putting it in a Ziploc bag, and then immediately the werewolf pounces on you, slashes you, and you now have to go to the hospital. It's like it feels like it's dangerous, but then the werewolf runs away. He doesn't murder you. He's just like, I'll see you later. So, Aaron, I know you love this game, and I've played with you several times. When did you first get into it, and was it a hard transition to go from Dungeon Master to monster keeper i think i first found it by being referred to it uh, by our fellow dungeon master taron and i think he'd heard about it he's a big game collector and he actually did a keeper for us for the first time and it just reminded me a lot of world of darkness which is where i started versus dungeons and dragons i like the horror element i like the role play element and it was easy getting into it. It's just very much like a duck to water sort of thing. And did you have any trouble convincing groups of players to come with you? Because I know, a little background, mm-hmm. in the current role-playing game world, there's a lot of conversation about what else besides D&D 5e. Yeah. And so lots of conversations about how do you find players, how do you convince your players to do something else? Yeah, I think a big part of it is that I would say starting off, no, it wasn't difficult, but it's knowing who your player base is and knowing that they're open to try something. And then you even telling them, look, I love D&D, but let's try something different just for one session and see what you think about it. Yeah, and I think they, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Rather than going to find strangers to play this game with you right 
uh, the dynamic of the gamekeeper and the players is such that we trust you. Right. So if you tell me that this is going to be cool, you're going to guide us through it. I'm with you. Yeah. But if it's just some random person and I'm like, oh, I want to play D&D. And you're like, no, Monster of the Week. <laughs> Maybe not. And it's also very minimal on the time and financial investment to try it out. There's a lot of games where somebody might say, I want to play X game, whether that's Call of Cthulhu or Rifts or some other very elaborate game. And that's great. I'm all for doing new systems, but it's also going to require new books and miniatures and all sorts of things that is going to say that, number one, we're done with D&D. That's at this point, if we're picking up a whole new system, but then you can do this and and pick it up legitimately in the same day. It's really not that difficult. Yeah, and it's interesting because after Monster of the Week, we played a board game, mm-hmm. and it was Vikings Pillaging. Yes. And it just came in a little box, and I found that game three times as hard to understand <laughs> as I did Monster of the Week. For sure. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? How, how many types of workers are there? How many, how many provisions do I need to invade? My goodness. Right. The only thing I would add on to that is not from the player perspective, but from the game master perspective. This can be a difficult game for a game master to run because it does require a lot of improv, a lot of flexibility, and not every game master has that. So that's why I think that one of the complaints about the game being rules light is because Sometimes game masters can't fill in those blanks. And so you have to find one that you know is tried and true and can do it, or at least willing to put themselves out there. That was something I noticed being at the table with you as the monster keeper, is you didn't have a screen or anything in front of you. There was a piece of paper turned over, and you barely looked at it. (laughs) There was once or twice someone asked you a question, you picked up, like you peeled up the corner of the paper like a (laughs) poker player, you looked at something put it back down, smiled, and gave the answer. But I would imagine a lot of that is just happening in your head. Yeah. I, I mean, it has to. There's there's no real way of running this game and not just going with the punches. And so I'll give an example. I mentioned I was going to talk about an anecdote earlier. One of those was I set a game in the 1940s that you played in, and I think you were there for this session where we were fighting against this were beast, were chihuahua, whatever it was. <laughs> and the party had this weird idea all of a sudden to make a blunderbuss out of a vacuum cleaner by shoving a bunch of old silver dimes into it and then hoping reversing the suction. I'm going to confess, I was an instrumental part of that, <laughs> and it was a monumental failure. <laughs> it was. And so there it comes the rolling and the weirdness because it's continued being weird by deciding let's hook up this vacuum to a car battery. And so rolled for it. It electrocuted, I think at least two people. And then the dimes just kind of fell out of the vacuum. It wasn't shot at this where Chihuahua. And we had spent way too much time (laughs) working on this. And we were like very close to the end of, you know, the, the doomsday clock. Right. And then the dimes just like fall out onto the concrete. Well, <laughs> yeah. two of the party is like laying there smoking. Yes. Well, 
I do love it, though, when it becomes like an element that succeeds or that it's meant to succeed. That was one that was just pulled out of somebody's idea, like this Rube Goldberg invention. Mm -hmm. But I had a session that was against witches, and they had to get this special, like, salve to put on a a weapon. And I actually pulled this recipe. I think it was maybe from The Witcher or something for this thing that was good for killing witches. And one of the ingredients was dog or wolf tallow. And... I put that in there. It's like one of the ingredients is dog tallow because I wanted to see what the party would do with it. And if Melissa was here, she would agree and laugh at this. But it's like they decided, well, why don't we go to the pound and see if we can find (laughs) the saddest, (laughs) closest to death dog. Let's pick a dog that no one loves. (laughs) It's for the greater good, really. And that was hilarious. I'm not going to go into all the details of that whole thing, but it was super fun and funny. And I think that's where the game goes, where it picks up a lot of steam and makes everybody have a good time. This brings to mind a question for you as the keeper. What's it like to redirect or maybe kind of provide some guidance for players in this system versus D&D or the other games you've played? Yeah, for this one, I think a big part of it is that you can split the party, and it actually helps with a lot of the spotlighting problems you deal with. So, for example, there's a really good episode of the Dungeon Dudes where they're running this, and they're investigating this haunted house, and a couple of them go upstairs, and a couple of them go in the basement. And so they're taking turns saying, what are the people upstairs doing? What are the people in the basement doing? So it's giving everybody in the party a chance to shine a little bit, to have fun a little bit. And, you know, there's other ways, too, besides just that, where you can have the supernatural entity pull them out of their whatever they're doing. You know, like literally the other night we had a monster pull somebody into the sewer sort of thing. Yeah, who just coincidentally happened to be making really poor decisions. (laughs) Exactly. Two things that I want to mention there. One, back to the cinematic component of this Mm -hmm. game. I think as a keeper, your instincts are likely to tell you for for the people upstairs, oh, that's a great dramatic moment. Let's cut to downstairs. And in this really cool cross-cutting way to heighten the tension. Right. Second thing I wanted to mention, love the Dungeon Dudes. Thanks oh, for yeah, they that. are great. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, too, about being a keeper, or even a player to an extent, is to really know the horror genre, the sci-fi genre, because most of the stuff you pull is going to be from there. And you can pull just stereotypical monsters. If you want to have a week where it's the creature from the Black Lagoon, and it has the same weaknesses and everything else, that's fine. The only thing you have to deal with occasionally is the metagaming when that comes in. But even then, I mean, if you live in a world where people have seen vampire movies and vampires exist, you're going to assume I can use garlic or silver or cross, and you would probably be right. Or you could completely foil that. Yeah. And just say, oh, yeah, that's just a... You could even have the vampire say, like, that's just from movies exactly or it could be like blade 2 where they have the new strain of vampire who's suddenly immune to the other things that they are killed by so let me ask you brian what do you like about being a player in monster of the week versus dmd i find the prompts to be particularly entertaining so you go through the list of the sort of 
categories, the classes, but it sort of marches you down the line where you just have three or four choices. Pick a, we- a weapon. You right. Know, and it'll just either give you a list or it'll just say like a, a common weapon. So you can just decide. But I think those prompts are really fun. And it's also fun to do the character creation with, within a group mm-hmm. because it's so quick. So you can start to get a sense of the Scooby-Doo, you know, party vibes. Right. Who am I going to be? What's going to be my function here? And one of the one of the classes is the mundane. It's it's just like I'm just I'm just a person. I, we had one in the in the game the other yeah. night, and it was like, well, I have a an umbrella and a walker or something <laughs> like that. And so she was also a new player, right? And so she was perpetually fretting at the end of the the party, like at the back, like. I mean, I just have a walker. And I think at one point she did just run up and whack the monster with the walker, which was really fun. Right. Exactly. And I, I think that that's great because it does show that sort of level of realness that's included with the game in a game that's also not about reality at the same time. You know? Yeah. And there was a, there's been a lot of times in, in your games where you just sit back as the keeper and 10, 15 minutes will pass when the players are just role playing and trying things and doing things. And that's got to be satisfying as a keeper. It is, because yeah. they're creating the story without you, which is awesome. Yeah, and it's also me downloading content for the rest of the session as well <laughs> in my brain yeah. from what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then there's that old joke too, which I'm sure you've had, which is you had an idea coming into the session and then something happens at the table and in your mind, silently you go, that's better than what I had in mind. I'm going to do that <laughs> exactly. instead. And I think that's one of the best things about this is that in D&D, especially if you do homebrew stuff, you really get locked into this, no, this is what the kingdom is, the politics are, this is the economy, these are the people, and if the player is going to mess around with that, you get frustrated, and rightfully so, you spend a lot of time doing it, but in this game, it's like, okay, well, I can be open to what you're doing, I like what you're doing, let's change the story up a little bit, because you can do that, you are making the story. Right, and we didn't know what it was going to be anyway. Exactly. I think that's the one key mistake that i've seen dms do is actually say when they've diverged because who cares it's sort of like you're watching a a tv show and it's a really satisfying ending and then at the end the writer's like okay that's not what i was going to do at all yeah i don't need to know that yeah well i mean i do like that idea though where like for example breaking bad is a good example of that where jesse was not supposed to actually live past season one and then they had a writer strike i believe similar to what we're having now and he, he ended up being a popular character. Like, well, now he's the whole other half of the exactly. show. And that's where Monster Week goes, where it's like, you have an idea of where you think the story's going to go, and then somebody gives you your Jesse. This connects back to something I'm really passionate about in this space, which is the skills we develop playing these games and how they're applicable to our lives. Yeah. And so when I've coached people in my professional life about running a meeting or giving a presentation part of my idea is let it be what it needs to be so if you've prepared 36 slides and you're so proud of the content and you're delivering it and people seem bored like they get it guess what this does not need to be the 36 slides (laughs) what does it need to be and you might actually have to turn off your projector Mm -hmm. and do something different but if you stick to your guns and you go through all 36 slides the feedback on your presentation is going to be terrible. Yeah. It's the same basic principle here, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say just in closing, three action points I would give is that if you haven't played Monster Week, 
find somebody who will run it and go play it. It's a lot of fun. Or run it yourself. Exactly. I was going to say that too. As number two, if you have played it, you should try running it. It's a lot of fun. I'll even play in your game. It's fantastic. I play some weird stuff in there, like my paromantic dentist that stole teeth for the tooth fairy. That's my kind of stuff that I enjoy. And I would say in closing, you know, if if any of you who follow us on our socials or have your own thoughts about Moss of the Week or even want to ever join us for a virtual session, just let us know. Yeah, and if you're in Denver, hit us up and we'll have you at the table. Also, Aaron, you just said it, and I think this is a cool thing. I would love to be in other folks' games. Yeah. You know, I think that's a cool way. Instead of just giving theoretical advice, oh, do this, okay, bye. It's like, oh, you're going to run the game? We'll totally show up. That would be amazing. For sure, yeah. Well, it's been great. We appreciate you listening and letting us step outside of the D&D box today. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. 